gracious God, we thank you for this day that you have made, and we just ask that you would uh, speak to us, that you would uh, encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would uh, change us. Make us more like your son, Jesus. Make us more like you have called us to be. We pray these things now, and we ask that you would be at work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're going to need to dig in a little bit, uh, because this may be one of the more challenging sermons uh, you will hear in a while. That was not my intent in writing it, uh, but when you work on the book of James, sometimes they just come out that way. Um, the topic at first will seem pretty mundane, and the consequences will seem relatively trivial, uh, but when you start to recognize the pervasiveness of this issue in your own life, in the people around you, in our world, and then as you truly think through the ramifications for you and for others, it may be a little startling and even disturbing. Um, but I want to begin first with just a story. There was a 19th century folktale that tells about a man who went out slandering the town's wise man. This was just kind of something he did all the time. One day he finally felt convicted. He went to the wise man's house and asked for forgiveness. The wise man, realizing that the man hadn't really internalized the gravity of his transgressions, told him that he would forgive him on one condition, that he go home, take a feather pillow from his house, cut it up, and scatter the feathers into the wind, and then return once he's done. Though puzzled by the strange request, the man was happy to be let off with so easy a penance. He quickly cut up the pillow, scattered the feathers, and returned home to the wise man's house. Am I forgiven now? He asked. Just one more thing, the wise man said. Now go gather up all the feathers. But that's impossible. The wind has already scattered them. Precisely, he answered. And it is as impossible to repair the damage done by your words as to recover all the feathers from the pillow. Your words are out there in the marketplace, spreading hate even as we speak. Today, we're going to spend a little time talking about the tongue. We're going to talk about gossip, we're going to talk about slander, we're going to talk about lying and swearing and doublespeak and, and many more. And like I've said a few times uh, throughout this study of James, be careful. Uh, because we all know people who are worse at this than we are. We all know real gossips. I may have gossiped in the past, but they are gossips. They, that is who they are. And so we have this tendency to think of people who are worse off than we are, and then somehow we kind of transfer our guilt to theirs. We kind of say, well... I do this a little, they do it a lot, so they're the ones who really are at fault. I just dabble in these things every once in a while. But, and we kind of just let our guilt slide to those folks instead. Um, we tell ourselves this isn't that bad. Uh, but I would invite you and encourage you to be honest with yourself as we work through this today. Because here's the thing, at first glance, I don't consider myself to be a gossip. I have pretty good control of my tongue. And this is due in large part to the fact that, number one, I don't like talking. Um, this is all the talking I do. And if, I was, if this was the only talking I did all week, I'm good. I don't need to talk. 
for the next couple of days. Um, and, and so part of the reason I don't really struggle with gossip that much is because I don't like talking. Secondly, I'm decently forgetful. So even if I did have something that could be turned into gossip, there's a great chance I'm just going to forget it before I have a chance to actually spread that around. So that's the second reason. And then third, as a pastor, I actually am pretty good at keeping secrets. Uh, in fact, sometimes people are really surprised when they talk to my wife about a, a pastoral care thing that they've shared with me, and they're surprised and a little bit horrified that she doesn't already know. Uh, of course she doesn't. Uh, unless I've asked permission, I'm not going to tell her if, if it's a pastoral care thing. So obviously, easily, I am not a gossip. Then I worked on this sermon all week long, and I became more mindful of my mouth uh, this week. And I became a bit horrified to find out just how much time I spend talking about other people. Kids, family, friends, acquaintances. And of course, it's not all gossip. But I'm also not sure it's all good either. What's more, I can especially fall prey to listening to gossip, to almost encouraging gossip, which in some ways is just as bad. When I hear gossip, I don't call the person out. I don't call it out as gossip. I don't always excuse myself getting myself out of the situation. And I definitely don't invite the person to, let's go address this person you're talking to, because apparently it's, it's messed with you, so let's go, let's go find this person and confront them. I'll go with you. Instead, I just listen. But I may be sometimes giving my silent or regrettably not so silent assent or even encouragement to the gossip. And is that as bad as gossiping myself? Probably not. But would I want someone else listening, even just silently, to gossip about me? Absolutely not. I'd want them to speak up for me. I'd want them really to bring that person to me so we could work out whatever it is that's turned this into gossip. Now, before we get too much further into this topic, we probably should define what we're talking about. One definition that I found that I really liked came from a pastor named Matthew Mitchell. Uh, he writes that gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. I'm going to read that one again. Gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. In other words, if you find yourself sharing bad news about someone else, there is a good chance you are gossiping. If you're speaking ill of someone and they're not around, there's a good chance you're gossiping. And frankly, if you're talking about someone and thinking bad thoughts about them in your head... While you're not necessarily saying things all that bad, it might actually be coming out as gossip. Another test to ask yourself if you're, uh, is that while you're talking, are you for the person you're talking about? Uh, or the person you're listening about? Are you for them? Because that changes the way you talk about them. You, you, you would even share bad news in a different way if you're on their side. My kid did this, and I can't, but, but you know what, we're working, we're working, it's bad news, but I think we can, it, it changes the flavor of what you're saying. Are you for the other person that you're talking about? If the answer is no, stop talking. Still another clarification that I liked, uh, that was kind of funny, was uh, if you're sharing news, you may find that you raise your voice. If you're sharing gossip, you lower your voice. So kind of an easy test. If you're like, hey, I want to, 
wanted to tell you about something. If you, if you hear that lowering of the voice, stop. Not okay, that is not news, that is gossip. It's kind of a nice little easy test to self-assess what you're doing. But again, all this is so much easier said than done. Because if you listen to the words that come out of your mouth in the next week, you will be surprised at how many of them are about other people and also tend to be a little bit on the negative side. It it could be a little bit shocking. There's family gossip. There's office gossip. There's community gossip. There's celebrity gossip. There's political gossip. And the list goes on and on. And then there's all the different ways we justify it to ourselves, or we justify it to the person. Uh, I've said several of these to other people while I'm apparently sharing gossip. I would say the same thing if they were here. Would you? Really? I'm just venting. I just need to get this, I just need to get it off my chest. I just need to get it out, and then I'm fine. It's It's not actually about them at all. It's really, I just need to get this out of me. You know what? Everyone already knows. So this isn't news. This isn't gossip. Because everyone already knows. So I'm just sharing what, what you may not. But everyone else already does. So it's not gossip. I'm just joking around. I, I didn't mean anything by it. I'm just keeping you in the loop. I mean, this is what's happening in our family. And I just thought you should know what, what's happening with that person's cousins, nephews. I, I just wanted to keep you in the loop. But the reality is that if the tables were turned and we were the ones being talked about in this way, I don't think these excuses would make us feel any better. I don't think we would want people talking about us like this. And at the end of the day, that's the true test. If it's something that you wouldn't want said about you in this context, don't do it. But it's not that easy, is it? In fact, what makes this even more difficult is that there's something natural, even almost normal, about this kind of talk, even though it's damaging. I, I quoted this, uh, this quote two weeks ago in uh, the Tuesday email, Deep Roots, uh, that goes into greater depth of the sermon. And for some reason it worked two weeks ago, but it absolutely works today. It, it's in a book called Sapiens. And in it, the author is writing about how human language maybe has evolved, or evolved originally. And kind of the, one of the going theories is that language grew out of the need to tell someone else information that they might need. So if you tell someone where food was, mmm, bison, that was, that was something that would be helpful for other people in your tribe or other humans to know. And so the language kind of evolved out of pointing and grunting and saying bison and suddenly, like, let's go get it. And the, whoever's not listening doesn't get bison. The flip side is you also, it was helpful to be able to point out danger. Ah, lion. Again, it would be helpful for you to understand what I'm saying because otherwise you would think I'm saying bison and you'd go that way and you'd learn really, well, other people would learn from your mistake that that's not a bison, that's a lion and you don't mess with those. But then the author says this. A second theory agrees that our unique language evolved as a means of sharing information about the world. But the most important information that needed to be conveyed was about humans not about lions and bison. Our language evolved as a way of gossiping, 
According to this theory, Homo sapiens is primarily a social animal. Social cooperation is our key for survival and reproduction. It is not enough for individual men and women to know the whereabouts of lions and bison. It's much more important to know to, to know who in their band hates whom, who is honest, and who is a cheat. In other words, our propensity to speak about others, and often in the negative, is something, according to this author, that's natural. As Christians, we would word it a different way. We would say it's actually a result, a product of original sin. That there's something inside of us that's called a sinful nature. It's born out of our pride. It's, it's born out of our sin. And therefore, we just have this inborn propensity to judge others and to let others know about our assessment. That that is, in some ways, natural. In some ways, it's not. But in some ways, now, it is just a part of who we are. That we have a tendency to speak about others. Not always in the best ways. But we'll come back to that in a little bit. I want to first catch you up on our series and then get to our passages in James. Uh, today is our fourth week working through the book of James. And our fourth week looking at how our faith addresses the struggles of life. We spend some time talking about how our faith can help us uh, through hardships and challenges of life. We also talked about how uh, faith can help us through some of the internal challenges and struggles of life. One of the forms that those challenges sometimes take is, and we'll hear about it again today, is our constant need to judge others. We talked about discrimination and favoritism. But the reality is, if our faith is going to help us through the challenges of life, there actually needs to be a living and active faith there. This is what we talked about last week. That faith actually has to be lived out. That trust has to be actually lived out. It's not enough to say that I generically have the faith, though I don't do anything about it. It's not enough to say I used to have a faith and was active in it, and now I don't. That, that, that's different. What James is saying kind of throughout this book is, no, faith has to be lived out. It's a, it's a daily, momently, hourly, yearly, daily, the whole bit. It's all the time. It has to be lived in order for it to, to change your life. Today we'll see how faith may be brought to bear on our tongues. Uh, so if you would, I'd invite you to turn to James chapter 1, verse 19, and then a little bit later we're going to move on to James chapter 3, verse 1. But we'll start in James 1, 19. James jumps around a little bit, more than most biblical books do. Um, so we're going to start in 1, and then he picks up the thread a little bit later. Uh, chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself righteous and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. 
religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And we'll stop there. We're going to fast forward all the way to chapter 3, verse 1. James again returns to the same topic. James 3, 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is ever at fault in what he says, he is a per- if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Amen. The problem with the book of James is that it's really easy to understand. And it's really hard to do. There's kind of this desire when you read the book of James of like, James, couldn't you talk in parables? Or couldn't you be more confusing? Because then we could talk about what you're saying, but not do what you're saying. We could try and figure out the theology and and the history and the culture of what you're saying, (laughs) and we wouldn't be quite so convicted by what you're saying. Alas, part of what's amazing about the book of James is it's not hard to understand It's simply hard to do. James's main point in these passages is quite simple. Christians, we must get control of our tongues. Because ultimately what leaks out of our mouth is an extension of what is in our hearts. James emphasizes this by pointing out that while it's a little part of the body, while it's so small, it can still guide or misguide the whole rest of the body. Like a bit in a horse's mouth, like the rudder of a ship, the tongue can do damage and it can lead us astray. Like a spark in a forest, it can set us ablaze. Therefore, we must find ways to control what we say. We must keep a tighter rein on our tongues. Which means we need to stop gossiping. We need to stop swearing. We need to stop slandering or speaking ill of people. We need to not give in to doublespeak. We need to not lie. We need to not share rumors. What's more, I think we also must be mindful to avoid listening to or even encouraging that same kind of talk. Because not only can our tongues get us in trouble, but so can someone else's. But we're trying to be practical in this James series, so how do we do it? How do you get control of your tongue again? 
Maybe part of the solution comes as we understand the why behind our tendencies. Why do we gossip? Why do we slander? Why do we speak ill of others? What's the motivation? What's underneath that? Is it actually accidental or is there something that that feeds in us? At the end of the day, the answer to these questions may be that our gossip is a function of our hearts. We do these things because we have prideful needs to judge others or that we have sinful desires in our hearts that need to be fulfilled and they get fulfilled through our gossip. This week I read a book called Resisting Gossip. And in it, the author Matthew Mitchell pointed out that there are five different types of gossips. And each are done for a different reason. Each are motivated by a different internal desire. Now, of course, you can't always simplify people down into five categories. They don't fit very well and they don't tend to stay in categories very well. And, and more often than not, whenever you try and divide the world into categories, there's always a lot of people that are like, well, I'm a little of this one and I, I'm not, I kind of straddle this fence. I don't live in one of these categories or another. That said, I found these descriptions to be really helpful as I tried to understand my own motivations for letting my tongue loose. The author named five different categories. Uh, the spy, the grumbler, the backstabber, the chameleon, and the busybody. And we're going to walk through those in a minute, but, but some of them are pretty obvious even just by the name. The spy is one who just has a, a hunger for information, a hunger for knowledge. They want to be in the know. And so they gossip as a way to gain information and ultimately leverage or power. So basically the spy is looking to get your or someone else's secrets. They're looking to be on the inside. They want to be someone. And they tend to be very good listeners and they tend to also kind of, I'll give you a little something so you can give me back something and that's something that I don't already have. I actually, everyone knows the thing I'm giving you, but if I can get you to gossip to me, if I can encourage the gossip out of you, I'll gossip a little to get your gossip so that I'm more in the know. So that I have power over some other people. The grumbler is different. The grumbler is a complainer, a critic, a crank. This glass is half empty and I want to tell you about it. And you know what? There's a lot of other half empty glasses out there and I'm going to tell you about them too. You know what? There are, a lot, there are too many half... They're just all empty. And I'm going to tell you all about that. It's just kind of a complaining attitude. Often, grumblers are motivated by jealousy. I'm not happy that someone else seems to be doing better than I am, so I'm going to point out how they're not. And I'm going to find some other people who also aren't doing as well and make sure I throw them down as well so that I don't feel quite so bad about myself. Grumblers are motivated by jealousy. The third type of gossip is the backstabber. This person is similar, similar to the grumbler, but they're more angry. These are the folks seeking revenge and retaliation. They wouldn't mind smearing someone a little bit, and they don't really mind if the story's not all true. It doesn't matter. Uh, they're quite simply trying to pay back someone. That's their motivation. They have been hurt, so they want to hurt someone else. It's a little bit of a different kind of gossip, but you can normally tell. Uh, that person's trying to hurt someone. The next gossip is the chameleon. 
The chameleon is just trying to fit in. They don't want to be left out. One of the easiest ways to be on the inside is to comment on the same kinds of people that we're all commenting on who are on the outside. So if I'm not totally a part of this group, but we're all making fun of the people over there, the easiest way I can feel a part of this group is, I, yeah, I'll tell you something I know about them too. Uh, because then I'm a part of us. Then I'm not out there by myself as well. Chameleons are especially likely to gossip when everyone's already gossiping. Since everyone else is doing it, it must be okay. Plus, I want to be accepted, and so I'll do whatever they're doing. But you'll notice the ultimate motivation there is one of fear. Fear of being left out. Fear of not being included. And then finally, the last type is known as the busybody. The busybody maybe has a little bit too much time on their hands, and they occupy themselves by meddling in other people's business. They gossip for enjoyment. They gossip for entertainment. They gossip so that they can live vicariously through others. In some ways, this is the one that we think of the most when we think of gossip. Gossip is, I, I have some information and I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to, I'm going to spread it out as far as I can. Because it's fun. Because it's entertaining. Because I feel better. The author concludes, we rationalize it. It's not malicious gossip, we say, and that's true, but it isn't love either, is it? The busybody shares information, and it's not that big of a deal, but it's not love either. Again, the five types, the spy, the grumbler, the backstabber, the chameleon, and the busybody. And again, we see the motivation behind the gossip is a heart issue. There's a, a lust for power. There's jealousy. There's anger. There's fear. There's boredom. And that's what causes us to talk negatively about others. It causes us to judge others. It's a problem of the heart. Of course, if the problem of the tongue is ultimately a heart problem, then it strikes me that maybe the ultimate solution to the tongue problem also lies in the heart. And maybe this is what James ultimately is getting at. At the end of our passage in chapter 3, James points out that the tongue can't both be cursing others and praising God at the same time. That doesn't make any sense. Salt water and fresh water can't both flow out of the same stream. But therein may lie some of the solution to our problem. Ultimately, this may help us understand how our faith can help us rein in our tongues. Because apparently, according to James, your mouth will either be full of praise or it'll be full of curses. Or to put it another way, either it will be controlled and brought under submission toward God or it will be in control of you. But the idea here is if you could change your heart, maybe we could change our tongues. More specifically, the reality is that our unkind speech comes out of our unkind hearts. We talk like this because our hearts are not as pure as they should be. We are too quick to judge. But again, maybe that's where the trick lies. As we get our hearts to focus more on the right things... Maybe this then changes how we talk. As we praise God more, as we love God more, as we love people,
people more as God purifies our hearts through His grace and His forgiveness and His love more, maybe that's what then helps us keep a tighter rein on our tongues. Because I won't want to talk ill of anyone anymore. I won't want to judge anyone else anymore because I am truly more and more for these people. I'm truly filled with God's grace and God's forgiveness. So there's, there's no room left to speak ill of someone else. If I could see people as God sees them, as God's creations, as, as made in the image of God, how do you speak bad about those people? As God kind of changes my eyes, it then changes my tongue. Or as I, as I start to really understand how much God has forgiven, what God has done in me, the amazing grace that God has extended upon me, it becomes a little harder to, to poke a stick at someone else. I've been forgiven so much, but you know, that guy's just, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's hard to, it's hard to do that in the, in the next breath. The more we understand what God has done for us and is doing in us, the more we focus on God in our heart and allow God to change us on the inside, the harder it is to gossip about others. But of course, this heart change takes time. This isn't something you can just do. But this is what our faith does in us over time. It changes our hearts. And convicts us of our sins. It reshapes how we see others. It fills us with a deeper knowledge of God and love of God. Which may be just what we need to finally have some control over our tongues again. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that in this next week, you would simply make us more aware of our words. That you would give us better ears that we might hear what it is that we are saying and that the people around us are saying and that you would help us recognize when that's actually bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. That you would help us to recognize when this isn't news and, and I'm not really for this person that I'm talking about. And that you would help us take a step back. That you would help us to stop. Lord, we pray ultimately that you are doing a deep work in our hearts. That you are growing a faith there and a, a deep love of you. That it might simply crowd out the judgmental thoughts that sometimes fill our hearts. And then our tongues. So Lord, we pray that you would continue to do your work in us. Reshaping us changing us, filling us, and making us more like your Son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for his example and for his grace and for his love. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Let's stand as we close in worship.